you know, if we had a, a captive population in England who had been tested on, we'd all be going crazy all the time. Um, and it's just putting that as, well, this is happening. It's just not happening in front of you, but the weapons that are being made to use against these people are being made in front of you and we have an ability to stop it. We need to be aware of these companies that are creating a very evil vision of the world around us. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. And welcome back to the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm your co-host, Nora Barrows-Friedman in California. And I'm Asa Winstanley in London. Asa, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. We've both been working on stories that kind of weave into um, what we'll be talking about. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll have interviews um, with several activists from the UK to the Bay Area who are involved in challenging the complicity of corporations in service to the Israeli apartheid uh, and settlement uh, industries. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit about what you've been working on lately. Yeah, so my last article to be published was British police may deploy Israeli drone used to kill Palestinians. And it turns out that Elbit Systems, which is Israel's largest private arms manufacturer, is involved in a collaboration with the National Police Air Service in the UK. Um, and they are flying this massive military-grade drone, the Hermes 900, uh, in the UK. Uh, well, it's so far, it's only been a test at an airfield in West Wales, which, you know, annoys me personally as a Welsh person, you know. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a really grim thing to see. You know, they've, they've released these images of this drone, um, it's not. It's not the first time for drones to be flown by British police. Like they've they've used drones, but they're only these sort of small, battery powered drones, which are you know one for surveillance, which are one step up essentially from commercial grade you know drones that you can just you fly in the park or whatever. Yeah. But this is the, the actual Hermes nine hundred, and the Hermes nine hundred, um, as we know, is the Elbit drones. It's the size of a plane, more or yeah, less, it's massive. Like a, a real plane, and it's used to bomb Palestinian civilians in Gaza. You know, it was first deployed in twenty fourteen, um, in that during the Israel's war, which killed two thousand two hundred Palestinians, including five hundred and fifty one children. Um, and now the British police, they say they've tested it, they've tested it to, and they're considering deploying it. In the UK, um, you know, alongside their helicopters and whatnot. So it's incredibly concerning that this, you know, there may be this kind of collaboration between the British police and um, a killer Israeli arms firm. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into more about the ongoing challenge by activists um, to confront Elbit. Uh, and the factories inside the UK. And also after that, we have an interview with uh, Delit Baum and Noam Perry of the American Friends Service Committee, who are part of a new campaign um, to boycott Pillsbury and the General Mills Corporation for their involvement in an Israeli settlement uh, 
in East Jerusalem. So, so we've also got a uh, an interview coming up with Huda Amori, yeah. who's a British Palestinian uh, Iraqi uh, and an activist in the UK, who um, I actually quote in that article. But um, she's uh, been involved in campaigning against Elbit, you know. Yeah. So um, it, we'll hear more from her. But um, Nora, your last article as well directly relates to um, our interviews today. So why don't you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, um, so kind of in a, a slightly different uh, tangential realm, uh, but but similar nonetheless. Uh, I wrote about how three major Silicon Valley companies, um, YouTube, which is owned by Google, plus Facebook and Zoom, the ubiquitous um, video conferencing platform that millions and millions of people are using every day, all conspired to shut down an event last week, um, a, a panel discussion hosted by San Francisco State University, uh, featuring all sorts of incredible activists, uh, including Ronnie Casserills, who was um, in the military armed wing of the ANC during the anti-apartheid struggle in South Africa, um, and Leila Khaled, who is a Palestinian resistance icon, uh, who is famous for her role in the non-lethal hijackings um, of two planes in in the, the late 1960s, early 1970s. And um, she's in her 70s, and she's also, you know, just been uh, smeared and vilified by Zionist groups and Israel lobby organizations here in the States, which conspired against uh, her and the organizers of the panel discussion to, to, you know, to pressure these major social media corporations to shut down the event. Um, so you have basically these private corporations being able to dictate um, what can cannot be taught at public universities, which is a very troubling and dangerous precedent. Um, so, yeah, you know this this uh, this all kind of points to the you know just overall complicity by organizations to defend Israel at all costs, and 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 more so to prop up Israel's apartheid and, and occupation structures. Um, and provide military equipment and surveillance technology and um, uh, and weapons to Israel to exterminate Palestinians. Um, and and it's interesting actually in the in, in the interview that um, is coming up after we hear from Huda Amori um, about Elbit, Dalit Baum of the American Friends Service Committee uh, is talking about another action that that she was involved in recently against the U.S.-based corporation Palantir, um, which sells like data mining technology and surveillance technology to the Israeli military. Um, and as we were discussing um, off air just before this, Palantir um, kind of rang some bells for us in the nerd world. Um, yeah, it's a Lord of the Rings <laughs> reference. <laughs> right. Right. So this is um, right. Peter Thiel, who is like... I don't know. He's sort of, he's like Skeletor. He's just a sort of super villain of billionaires <laughs> yeah. who also yeah. wants to, um, well, he closed down Gorka, which, you know, was, was, 
I mean, it had its yeah. ups and its downs. It was kind of a trivia website, but I mean, I really liked it overall. Yeah, me and too. It, it had some yeah. actual journalism on it, you know? Right, some right. Uh, but, and he crushed it like a bug, yeah. you know? Um, and, um, and, you know, he and wanted... And he's one of the co-founders, yeah, of, of Palantir. He, he, right, he co-founded Palantir, um, and he... Um, you just had, had, I remember reading about all these evil schemes that he's involved in. Yeah. Um, I think one of them involved uh, getting blood donations from young young girls to, like, oh, inject into his skin. What? To keep, to keep, yeah, no, this is like a thing. Like that, real like, billionaires stuff, <laughs> want yeah. to do to, like, preserve wow. their life. Um, a bit like Jeffrey Epstein, who uh, reportedly wanted to preserve his head freeze his head and his private parts so that he could live on once the technology exists unbelievable yeah so like really really evil stuff um and um yeah palantir i mean i don't know what he's saying what what peter teal is saying by naming this surveillance company spying company essentially um by naming it palantir yeah, I mean the reference in from the Lord of the Rings uh is is pretty apt, I think. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's like it is it's the bad guys in Lord of the Rings who have Yeah. the Palantirs. Well, mo- yeah. Without getting too nerdy, but it's mostly the bad guys <laughs> <laughs> who who have the Palantirs. So like what is he explicitly saying, yeah, I'm like Sauron. Right, the everything. eye of Sauron, he yeah. can see everything. I mean, that's essentially what Palantir does, right? It's like not just data mining and surveillance, but it's also they uh, apparently sold in, I think, 2017, a sort of technology to Israel um, that would kind of um, identify Palestinians who could in the future um you know, do some sort of action against yeah. the Israeli uh, occupation, you know, sort of like a, a pre-crime um, that that we remember from the book and movie Minority Report. Um, so really um, exceptionally evil yeah. methods of, of technology. So yeah. anyway. And, and like, I think we know with these kinds of technologies, in Minority Report, the film, it was all very much like oh this is so accurate do you know what right. i mean it's like oh, they can they can find all this stuff out before and and it goes you know in the plot of the film it goes wrong but essentially the, but like in the world of philip k dick novels um as in like israeli reality all this kind of you know intelligence is often really incredibly wrong like it's yeah. often really really inaccurate you know so it's like this it's, it's a real sort of dystopian future that we've entered into with these things yeah and uh as always the us the uk and israel are <laughs> profiting off of it and using it um against uh, against people so um yeah let's this is a great episode as as we've said um let's get right into the episode first up let's go to the interview with huda amori from palestine action so welcome to the podcast today, Huda. Um, tell us about yourself, first of all, and then tell us about Palestine Action. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, so to begin with myself, I'm a British Palestinian. I'm also Iraqi on my mother's side, um, and I've been an activist 
for quite a number of years, mainly focused around boycott, divestment and sanctions of Israel campaigning, um, and now part of the Palestine Action Direct Action Group, which has just been launched, I think it's just over six weeks now, um, we've launched, and it's a network of groups and activists from across the UK who want to take direct action to end UK complicity with Israeli apartheid. Uh, and in particular, we're focusing heavily on Albert Systems, which is Israel's largest arms company here in the UK. Uh, we've already done, I think, over 15 actions to date, and this has ranged from guerrilla tactics such as ad hacking and taking over bus stops um, and also adverts on buses to storming into Albert's main offices in central London, um, vandalising the outside repeatedly and also other other linked companies. So, for example, um, LaSalle Investment Management, who are the landlords of Albert's London office, have also been targeted for their complicity in upholding the operations of Albert Systems and also um, due to ignoring our requests to kick Albert out of London. Okay, so you, the most recent thing, you've, you've just come out of um, a police jail cell because you took part in a sit-in on Elbit's factory rooftop um, in one of Elbit's one of Elbit's uh, factories in the UK. Um, let I want to talk to you I want, uh, about that and explain what happened. Um, but first of all, for listeners who maybe don't know, can you explain what Elbit is and why it is a target for uh, Palestinian and Palestine solidarity campaigners? So Elbit's Israel's largest private arms company, and they actually market their weapons as battle tested, some cases field proven. Um, but essentially, it means the same thing, that they're testing them on Palestinian civilians. Um, often, this is Palestinian civilians who are in Gaza, who've been trapped under a brutal siege for over a decade, essentially a captive population stuck in the world's largest open air prison, who are not only suffering under the apartheid regime and having their basic human rights um, denied, they are also now being treated as lab rats for the Israeli arms trade. Um, and unlike other countries, uh, Israel has now has a strategic advantage because they have a captive population, which they can test their weapons on, um, which is just completely sickening. But not only you know, do they market their weapons as tested on Palestinians, they also provide 85% of Israel's military drone fleet. Uh, drones were heavily used in the 2014 attack on Gaza, where Israel killed over 2,200 Palestinians and over 500 children in just over 50 days, also bombing, uh, destroying 62 clinics and hospitals and the only civilian power plant uh, in Gaza. Not only are they complicit, deeply complicit in the oppression of the Palestinians, uh, Palestinian people, they've also got contracts uh, for surveillance towers for, the, for Trump's wall between the US and Mexico. India is Israel's largest importer of arms as well. So essentially they're importing arms from companies like Albert Systems, which are tested on the occupied population of Palestinians and using them against an occupied people um, of Kashmir. And uh, you know, there's, it, it continues to, the list of the crimes that they're complicit in is never ending. They've also recently uh, 
been awarded a contract by the UK to surveil the UK uh, shores and the borders of the UK uh, to essentially stop, um, try and stop migrants and refugees from seeking safety in this country. Yeah, I just saw this crazy stuff, really. Yeah, 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 exactly. And um, and just to name another one, we've also just recently found out that they've won a con- uh, they just finished trials um, with the UK police because they want to provide uh, the police here in the UK with drones which they can use uh, for surveillance purposes alongside their police helicopters and planes. Um, so we can see they're really embedded in all forms of oppression against ordinary people. So it's an Israeli arms firm and Israeli drones maker, which really has a global profile. Yes, yes, exactly. So how many, in terms of its British presence, how many uh, offices and factories and uh, subsidiaries does it have in the UK? Well, they uh, they market themselves having 10 sites in the UK. And we've actually just recently put up a map on the Palestine Action website of these different sites. Four of these are factories, um, one in Oldham, two in the Midlands and one down in Kent. And they also have uh, two offices and uh, work with the, uh, in the RAF sites to test um, their technology as well alongside the RAF. So they have 10 sites across, across the UK, um, mainly concentrated in England and Wales. Okay, so um, to go back to why you've just come out of a jail cell, the you were involved in a direct action against Elbit's factory in Shenstone, um, north of Birmingham, I believe. Is that right? Yes. So Shen, uh, the so, so tell uh, us about that. What what happened? What what was the what was what we what was the strategy? What's your goal? Um, so our goal with everything is to continue to escalate our actions and and to force Albert out of the country and shut them down. And hope, and then, and then transfer that to other companies which are complicit with Israeli apartheid. With this specific action, um, we targeted uh, Shenstone, which is where they're making the engines for the drones. So, literally, kind of the heart of the whole of their um, murderous uh, weapons. And we planned to, and we did successfully um, occupy occupy the site and to shut them down. Uh, physically and close them down um, overnight, so to say. And so five of us went onto the roof of the building and three people were locked in lock tubes in front of the gates on the ground. Chains were also put around their gates so that they could not, so that they were forced shut. Um, whilst on the roof, windows were also smashed all across the front of Albert Systems. Uh, Their air conditioning units were also heavily damaged and thrown to the ground. Slabs of uh, rocks or bricks, I guess you could say, were thrown into into the windows of Albert Systems um, as well. And on the first day, we poured down uh, red paint all across the front of the building to symbolise the bloodshed by by this company, by Albert Systems, and to make it visible, because I think often these offices and factories just hide amongst, you know, all of these different industries and 
office blocks, etc. But to actually expose it and say this is not just business as usual. Um, these these companies and factories are uh, complicit in the murder of so many people and are complicit in 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 crimes um, against humanity. So we managed to uh, successfully shut them down um, and cause um, lots of damage as well to the site. And then after three days um, of being on the roof, it was on the final Wednesday evening when they uh, tried to, when they managed to actually get us off the roof. And uh, we didn't go down easy. We had a lock on tubes at the end um, as kind of a final act of resistance uh, to say, you know, we, we refuse to leave this roof. They did try and negotiate for us to come down voluntarily. We obviously refused, you know, considering the, you know, how the crimes that they're involved in. We said that there's no way that we're going to leave this roof voluntarily when this company is complicit um, in the crimes against the Palestinian people. And the only way is through um, force. And we, in the end, they had a, a cherry picker, um, which isn't used to pick cherries. <laughs> 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 and they you know had to break us out of the of, of our lock-on tubes um and restrained us put us in I don't even know what you call it and then had to basically carry us down with the cherry picker um in order to to arrest us yeah. um and that was I think they arrested all of us by the early hours of Thursday morning so uh, you, there was five of you on the roof, right? They arrested all five of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they arrested all five of us. Um, three of us were taken to one station. The other two were taken to another station. Um, we expected, well, we we went into it doing the action, knowing that the our our plan is to shut Albert down it's to cause damage um, and it's it's to get the word out there and to call on everyone else, you know, to to take direct action in whatever form that is. It doesn't need to be occupying a roof building. It can literally just be getting a tub of paint and throwing it on top of an Albert store. Just these, you know, the, if we're doing these things continuously, um, it, it, we really have a massive ability to take these companies out of the country and I think that sends a message to everyone that actually um, the the power that we think is being taken away from us because we're constantly repressed as activists trying to speak up for Palestinian human rights we can we can take that back and we can refuse to be ignored and refuse to be silenced and denigrated just for trying to speak out um, on on human rights issues. So explain what your um your action your direct action what it achieved in terms of uh its impact on the company the uh so first of all what do they actually physically make in this particular factory so this is where they make uh the engines for their drones so these are the drones which we imagine are going to be used to surveil the seas also these are drones which have been used in gaza um, and imagine as well are going to be the drones which they use to assist the UK um, police force. So this is really kind of the heart of their, yeah. their of their drones. You know, so yeah. this was a factory where drone engines are made uh, for killing machines, mm -hmm. um, and you uh, 
did you shut the actual factory down for three days while you were there yes so they it was um no one entered the building whilst we were there um it was officially shut down i can imagine because the amount of damage caused that they won't be opening up um anytime soon but we are keeping an eye on that to see um what does happen now afterwards i imagine that there will be other activists in palestine action and across the place and um who will go and take further action not just against this factory but all of their sites um uh, across the uk we were um informed by the, the the crown prosecution service and the police during our interviews in the police station that we cost the company over 160 thousand pounds which was uh, great news to hear mm-hmm. um and and uh, that's taking into account uh, losses of earnings uh, etc so we can imagine that figure will rise if that was three days that being factory was shut down yeah 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 so um uh, so the crown the crown prosecution service is the government prosecutor um for our listeners outside of the uk um so you as palestine action you are calling on on others to take direct action against albit uh, and uh, other arms manufacturers in this way um explain your legal strategy and well first of all explain the the consequences that you or the potential consequences you what are you charged with uh, you know what could be the potential consequences of those charges, and what is your legal strategy, you and your lawyers? Yeah. Um, so, f- what's interesting is, well, I'll begin with this case, and then I'll go on to the others. But uh, this is now they are treating it as a crown court case, um, which we've never had a case against Albert, which has been dealt with by the by the crown court because of our actions. Um, so essentially they did try to refuse us uh, police bail and this is why we were kept for over 40 hours we were then allowed out by the magistrate's court who gave us um uh bail our bail conditions so that we could um get out but they are charging us with criminal damage of um over thirty thousand pounds because of the physical damage that's not taken into account loss of earnings etc um aggravated trespass and a law which was introduced during the miners strike under the trade union act i believe something about intimidation or annoyance by uh, violence or other means to a person or property um so i'm assuming by that they mean um were intimidating literal property which is a joke when you consider you know the the ramifications that these weapons have on people's lives and you know this is one thing that um even knowing okay we caused them some damage it's and seeing how the police and the cps value you know put a value a monetary value on the physical damage and you just sit there thinking well what's 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 the value of one life let alone 500 children's life, let alone 2,200 Palestinians in just 2014, or the amount of Palestinians who've lost their legs. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's completely incomparable um, when, when they look at protecting property over uh, people's lives and even allowing 
Albert system to operate in this country in the first place for so long when these crimes have been going on uh, constantly. Um, so we, so this is going to be treated as a Crown Court case. We have our plea hearing um, in August, in, oh, sorry, not August, at the end of uh, 19th of October. Um, and then we'll get a trial date. We were, at the time, the, the court granted us bail on the basis of our, on different, a number of different factors, but they included the fact that because our defence is about prevention of crime, necessity of life, and also considering the right to protest, um, this is one of the core reasons that we were given bail. And what's really interesting about this is uh, people have taken direct action against salvage systems before in the past, have closed down their factory uh, for several days um, in the past, haven't necessarily caused uh, criminal damage or kind of escalated it that step further. And every single time the case has been, there's either been um, no arrest made at the time or no charges made at the time, or the charges are always dropped. Um, now, because of the level of escalation we took it, I think they are, must be backed into a corner because um, our defence and what the reasons why we did it is based on Albert's complicity in war crimes, it's based on the fact that they're marketing these weapons as battle tested. And what they're doing is actually illegal in international law. And what's happening to Palestinians is illegal in international law. Um, and if Albert, if we get this heard in a Crown Court and we win, that basically you know, says a lot about actually proving in a Crown Court that uh, Albert is complicit in war crimes, and this is why people are, you know, being um, are not being charged or convicted when going and smashing up the place, essentially. Right. And if you drop it, then they're basically saying you can do anything. We can, anyone can do anything, <laughs> and we'll never take it further because they know what they're doing is illegal. And the second it's going to get heard in court, they're going to lose. So I think for Albert, it is just a ticking time bomb. And for everyone else as well, we don't know when this case will be heard. Maybe it'll be, you know, it takes a long time, these things, maybe in a couple of years. And hopefully at that point, we'll have had several more actions and victories, I hope, in kicking um, a few of these sites out of the country. So what the atmosphere will be around Albert at that time may be completely different uh, to, how it is, to how it is now. So I think our plan is to continue to escalate as much as possible because we know that we're, you know, morally right and we have all the research um, and the evidence to back up what we're saying and what we're doing. Um, and it's really just a ticking time bomb until Albert's just forced out, if it's either through the courts, through direct action or a combination of both. So in a nutshell, you are charged with criminal damage against the factory. You don't deny the damage, but you deny that you're pleading not guilty because you deny that the damage was criminal due to the fact that Albert is killing people and is acting in violation of international law and basic morality. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's it in a nutshell. So there's, there's, and there is kind of a precedent for this in terms of campaigning against Israeli uh, organizations um, with the, yeah, uh, you must be familiar with the Kamala Gretzko case from years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the um, the importer, uh, different because not an arms manufacturer, but um, uh, an importer of produce from 
uh, Israeli settlements that are illegal under international law because they are built on stolen Palestinian land. And some 15 years ago or so, um, activists, um, you know, took did similar civil disobedience against the fact that um, their 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 premises in Uxbridge. Uh, where the, the fruits were imported from, fruits and vegetables were imported from the illegal settlement, um, and um, they were charged. And eventually, um, the, I believe I, I don't remember all the ins and outs of the case, but I know that essentially the legal case was dropped because their argument was that they were acting um, in violation of international law because they were from illegal settlements, um, and that worked because. The Carmel Gretzko factory was 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 shut down, so um, you're hoping for a similar result. Yeah, yes, definitely. Um, and I, you know, and I think this is this is the thing when it comes to taking action against Alba, um, it's a win either way. You know, if when when you take action against them, you, we are um, either taking away or chipping away at their profits, increasing the awareness and exposing them. And I think a lot of this as well with Alba is just. They're so immoral. I mean, even the, the you know the arms trade as a whole is extremely immoral. But even on the arms trade level, they take it an extra step further. That actually just by exposing them through doing direct action, um, you're going to build and create a sense of anger and frustration amongst ordinary people that these things just go on um, unknowingly just in our streets. I mean, they have one of their main offices is in central London. It's and you know if you didn't know it before hopefully you'll now know it now because it's constantly covered in red paint um after we've launched palestine action um but yes i mean this is this is what yeah with albert systems is really part of as a whole it's a ticking time bomb because it's not you know i always think that justice and the truth will eventually prevail and if that means that in the meantime there's some sacrifices made in the way um and i think this is what it takes as well is for for this to be realised, you know, we know we're on the right side, but for it to be realised means having to force it to be heard and force it to be taken a step further and using this privilege that we have by being in, you know, the UK and these countries which are so deeply complicit in it uh, to fight for the oppressed in other countries who don't have that same level of privilege. And I think that's what really it means. You know, we talk a lot now with about being anti-racist um, and it meaning more than just being more diverse in universities or in these institutions when it actually means if you see everyone as equal, you know, if we had a, a captive population in England who were being tested on, we'd all be going crazy all the time. Um, and it's just putting that as, well, this is happening. It's just not happening in front of you. But the weapons were, the weapons that are being made to use against these people are being made in front of you and we have an ability to stop it. I think that's a great place to bring it to a conclusion. Huda and Maury, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Asa, that was a great interview with Huda from Palestine Action. Let's now take a, a very quick musical break, and we'll be back with Dali Baum and Noam Perry of the American Friends Service Committee. Stay tuned. <laughs> بيت في الأقصى عمحتها لو بكفر أصل تدين جيب جيش فوت على الحرب تغلب مقناب للصوت بالتخ بتقلب أنا شاب متكتك أصل مرتب صوت صوت أوضاء زي حفل في نص الليل عملية
Pillsbury, owned by food manufacturing conglomerate General Mills, is a household name known for its cookie dough, cinnamon buns, and other sweet treats, says the American Friends Service Committee. But the Justice and Human Rights Group adds the company manufactures frozen baked goods in an illegal settlement in occupied East Jerusalem, violating international law and contributing to gross human rights abuses. AFSC is calling for a boycott of Pillsbury and has launched its No Dough for the Occupation campaign. Joining us to talk about the campaign are Dalit Baum and Noam Perry of the American Friends Service Committee. Dalit and Noam, thank you so much for being here on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks for having us. So let's begin by having you lay out this campaign that you just launched. Uh, talk about the Pillsbury factory inside this uh, settlement in, in Jerusalem and how you're working with Palestinian organizers on the ground. So uh, the Pillsbury factory has been in the Atarot industrial zone, which is an illegal settlement, ever since the early 2000s. Uh, the area has been uh, annexed into Israel in 1970 after the Six-Day uh, six War. We, we have known about it all along. It's just that last year when the UN published its UN list of uh, businesses that uh, support settlements, it was published by the UN uh, High Commissioner uh, for Human Rights. Uh, the company, General Mills, was highlighted as, as one of only seven American companies that were uh, involved in the settlements. So I think that kind of brought more attention to their ongoing presence on the ground. The the first swab of research on the company's presence there was done by Who Profits. You asked about organizations on the ground. Who Profits is an Israeli human rights uh, information center that does research on companies involved in the occupation. And uh, Al-Haq, uh, Palestinian um, uh, human rights organization published a report on the Atarot Industrial Zone, which is just north of Jerusalem. It's the, in, in the part that we call occupied East Jerusalem, but it's actually north of the city. Um, they have a report about it also from a few months ago. Yes. Yeah, about all the effects on people who live around, the way they dump their waste, the way they actually are uh, limited the growth of towns, Palestinian towns around them. We also put some effort into trying to find out what is the history of that land that this factory is actually built on. And with the help of local researchers, we uh, managed to ascertain that uh, this uh, was originally the land of the Palestinian uh, town of um, Bet Hanina. And so this is a Palestinian land that was confiscated illegally. And what we're asking the company to do is very, very simple. Others have done it before. We have dozens of companies that have decided to step away from the settlement. This is illegal. It is a blatant violation. They should just move that factory out of that area. That's all we're asking for. And since uh, Pillsbury is a household name, as you said, Nora, I think there is a lot that people around us can do. I mean, just not buying Pillsbury products is, is, is one thing. Uh, of course, please don't buy Pillsbury products. And if you can, avoid General Mills altogether. General Mills makes so many things, so it's not easy. <laughs> but, but there is a lot more that we're asking people to do. We, we, we have a, um, an automated letter on our website, boycottpillsbury.org. And people are invited to go there and just uh, sign a letter to the CEO of the company. That is a pledge to boycott company products until the company moves this factory. Uh, there is a lot of education that needs to be done. I think people don't know about this company. There's a lot of organizing that we can do to get stores to deshelve these products as well. You know, talk to the 
person who is managing your community <laughs> grocery store. Ask them not to carry these products. Um, there's a lot of local organizing that still can be done. So this is a new campaign and, and we're just in the first phase of it in trying to educate about it. factory is owned by an Israeli company and is used exclusively to make Pillsbury products as the Israeli licensee of Pillsbury. General Mills acknowledges that it holds a factory uh, at this site and its employees are regularly stationed there. No, no, for the occupation. No, no, for the occupation. No, no, for the occupation. And, uh, Talking about local organizing, there was a direct action in Minnesota uh, and a shareholders meeting that happened just hours before we're, we're recording this interview. Um, talk about what happened and how uh, AFSC and, and local activists have been challenging the General Mills Corporation around uh, their settlement business. Yeah, thank you. So uh, General Mills is headquartered in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and they had their annual shareholder meeting today. Every company has that once a year. And so we thought it was a good opportunity to raise the issue with the company. And it's always nice to have, you know, people going to the shareholder meeting and also people outside the meeting. Uh, now Nowadays, all the meetings are virtual, so it's kind of uh, awkward, but we still wanted to have that feel. So we contacted some local groups in in the Minneapolis area. We have AFSC has an office in in the Twin Cities, uh, and uh, uh, there was an action yesterday uh, with the groups like uh, Jewish Voice, Jewish Voice for Peace Twin Cities, Women Against Military Madness, uh, American Muslims for Palestine Minnesota, uh, New um, um, Minneapolis Anti-War Committee, and and other groups that I'm probably forgetting. Uh, so they gathered at the headquarters outside and raised some signs and did some chants, and that was really great. And then uh, today at the shareholders meeting, uh, uh, AFSC is also a shareholder in General Mills, as as many are. And uh, we used our we 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 do this sometimes with with many companies. Uh, we use our our access as shareholders to bug the company from the inside. So I joined the shareholder meeting um, and we had another person from the coalition also uh, join the shareholder meeting and we just asked questions. Unfortunately, the problem with these uh, virtual shareholder meetings is that it's a very tightly controlled setting. The company can really decide uh, in advance pretty much what to do and what not to do. So the entire and the whole thing was 25 minutes long. So it's not a not a you know not a long issue ordeal. Um, so they only tackled questions I think that they had good answers to, but they did promise to answer the all the questions that were submitted uh, somewhere um, later this week. So I'm looking forward to see what they have to say about that. So unfortunately, they, they ignored our question on the live event. Uh, but I'm looking forward to see what they say. So far, they have responded to at least two media queries uh, after the UN, that UN list that Delhi talked about came out back in February, and their response was very uh, underwhelming, I would say. They said, yes, we have the factory, um, we employ, you know, all people, and they all get fair wages, something like that. Um, 
not indicating at all that they see it as a problem. So our job, I think, is to make them realize that this is a problem, and if not, to make it a problem for them. And maybe I will add that yeah. we wrote to the CEO ourselves, and we asked people to sign this automated letter to the CEO, and we are yet to receive an answer. So maybe this is another way for us to call on General Mills uh, for a meeting. We want a meeting. We want the ability to sit with you and talk about it, maybe help you figure out how to solve this. Um, can you talk a little bit about these Israeli settlement zones and how they operate as uh, partners to the Israeli system of colonization and depopulation um, through like, you know, this, uh, yeah, through, you know, the economy and, and globalized <laughs> corporate strangleholds? Um, yeah, talk a little bit about, about kind of the, the, the general overview of, of the settlement industry. Yeah, so uh, there are many different uh, settlement industrial zones today on the West Bank. Uh, Atarot is one of the oldest of them. And as I said before, it has been annexed into Israel back in 1970, which means that according to Israel, this is now under Israeli law. We view all of these uh, industrial zones as settlements in their own right, because they are under the Israeli a system. They contribute solely to the Israeli economy. Uh, they are managed by Israeli companies. They are taking away the natural resources from the Palestinian West Bank uh, solely for the uh, benefit of the Israeli economy, the Israeli civilian economy, and not in any way for any security needs or anything like that, which is a violation of international law. So they use the resources of land, obviously, but also it goes much further than that. Many of these settlements are actually not annexed into Israel, so they are not under Israeli law, which means that Israel uh, doesn't really control them fully in the usual environmental regulations or labor law regulations that apply to Israeli factories inside the official borders of the state of Israel. So that was a huge incentive for polluting industries to move into these spaces or for industries that uh, clearly depend on what they call cheap labor, and we call uh, um, exploited labor. In fact, even in Atarot, which is under Israeli jurisdiction, uh, we can see the, the, the great risk of exploiting labor. Uh, many of the workers in those plants are Palestinians from the occupied Palestinian territory and outside of Atarot. In order to get to work, they need special security clearances that are uh, provided by their employers. So that becomes a huge disincentive against organizing. Uh, any kind of organizing to ask for rights it can be easily uh, uh, preempted by the employer who would uh, withdraw the organizer's um, uh, security clearance. And we've seen that done again and again and again in different uh, uh, situations on the West Bank. Uh, so usually Palestinian workers in these plants are really factory line workers. They only get uh, minimum wages if they are lucky and they don't have any recourse to organize or to demand the rights in the case that when they don't get their money on time or if they or if they, their work conditions are, are not safe in any way and so on. And, and therefore we see again and again and again uh, uh, things that come out and they come out very late. You know, we learned about patterns of abuse that took years until uh, they came out and, and people managed to, to get the word out. So that doesn't mean that we know that there is any such abuse in that Shalgal plant. That's the name of the Israeli company that operates it in Atarot for General Mills. But uh, we're saying that 
operating plants in this situation of, of apartheid, where some people have no rights, uh, is, is, is risky for the company because uh, it can create situations of abuse and discrimination very, very easily. You mentioned some ways that people can get plugged into this campaign. Um, one is not buying Pillsbury products or General Mills products. But what are some other ways that you're asking people to um, try and hold General Mills accountable? So we would love it if more people could sign our letter to the CEO. I think it's important that they realize that they can't ignore this any longer and that they have to uh, improve their uh, their messaging at least, uh, to make this uncomfortable for them as much as possible. There's also a petition, an online petition that uh, Jewish Voice for Peace organized that people are welcome to sign. And I think most importantly, if people are members of groups, of activist groups or uh, groups that have purchasing power, you know, think of your school, university, uh, religious uh, institution, I don't know, any workplace, any place really that people can organize in and make it an institutional boycott. So, you know, an individual boycott is nice, but nobody hears about it. So that's a problem. But if a group, if an organized group makes a statement that they will not buy Pillsbury products until the company does uh, what we're asking it to do, which is to move the plant to somewhere else, um, that's, a, that's how we won most of our campaigns in the past. And um, finally, we, uh, on this episode earlier, we talked about the actions against Elbit in, uh, in London. Um, what are some other campaigns that you're involved in um, that, you know, kind of like, you know, challenge the heart of the Israeli security apparatus and the, the ways that um, the U.S. is, is uh, being held, you know, also responsible for, for propping up these corporations? So what's interesting in comparing the two campaigns, the Elbit campaign and the General Mills campaign, is to see how uh, we're not asking anything of Elbit. You know, Elbit is 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 not. We we don't buy Elbit products. Elbit uh, they they make products for the for the military, mm-hmm. uh, but we we can influence General Mills. So these are two different types of campaigns. Uh, the Elbit campaigns tries to isolate Elbit and challenge its power, while the General Mills campaigns actually asks General Mills to become a better company and to step away from their complicity. Uh, we now have a new campaign targeting a company which is similar to Elbit. Uh, in fact, we think of it as the uh, the piñata. <laughs> <laughs> the company is called Palantir. And I don't know if many uh, members of our Free Palestine, Palestine Solidarity Movement are familiar with it, but I think they should be. Palantir is uh, one of the primary companies in the world that specializes in um, data analytics. So they take vast amounts of information that is provided by surveillance of all types and by uh, going through databases and open source uh, um, uh, information online and uh, video cameras and facial recognition cameras and license plate readers and so on and so forth. And they are able to put it all into a system that uses artificial intelligence to make sense of all this data specifically for state surveillance. So this is a US company. It has just moved its uh, headquarters from Palo Alto, California in the Silicon Valley to Denver in Colorado. 
So this was an opportunity for a large coalition of groups to organize in order to educate people around this company, Palantir, and what it does. Uh, many of them are uh, immigrant rights activists because the, pal the Palantir systems are used to fuel the ICE uh, surveillance, tracking, uh, and the deportation machine. They use that to track uh, all of us. But the same system is also used by the U.S. military. The same system is also used by uh, uh, police departments all around the world and, and, uh, and law enforcement here in the U.S. They share information among different agencies. And surprise, surprise, it is also used by the Israeli security forces against Palestinians in the West Bank. So we are all in it together. And so uh, the fun part was today we had a demonstration outside their, yesterday, sorry, we had a demonstration outside their old offices in Palo Alto. I was there. Uh, it was a party. We called it a goodbye and good riddance party, saying goodbye to uh, the company Palantir, leaving Palo Alto. Some people there have been picketing and marching against this company for many, many months. So for them, it's also ending a chapter in their in their local activism and a, and a celebration. It was a party. We had cupcakes that were shaped like the Colorado uh, icy mountains with skiers because they are moving to Colorado. <laughs> uh, we read some of the company's own statements about how the company chose sides in their language. They chose the side of law and order and the state. And we are saying they chose a side which is not our side. It is not the side of the people. Today, there is an action in Denver, Colorado, also organized by a wide coalition of groups, which is uh, titled uh, an unwelcome party. So again, a party, uh, they're going to be dancing. There's going to be a piñata. We also had a piñata and, um, and music. And, uh, and, and we're just trying to bring together this very wide coalition in the community to educate people about this company and to make sure that we actually stay away from them, don't invest in them, don't, don't normalize any of their higher management staff, don't have them on our school board, <laughs> you know, don't, don't have our cities give them any tax, but I don't know, whatever, whatever we can. We need to be aware of these companies that are creating a very evil vision of the world around us. That's the voice of Dalit Baum, and uh, also with us is Noam Perry. Uh, Noam, can you uh, give out the website one more time? Of course. So uh, we have a website where people can see all the companies that we profile. These are publicly traded companies. The company Dalit just talked about, Palantir, just be is becoming publicly traded uh, this week. So we're adding it to our database. That's uh, investigate.afsc.org. Uh, and our website for the Pillsbury campaign is boycottpillsbury.org. Great. And we'll have all those links up on the Electronic Intifada um, on the blog post that accompanies this. Dalit and Noam, thank you so much for all of your work and for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you, Nora. Thank you, Nora. That's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks to Sharif Zakut, our music maker and production assistant. For news, information, cultural features and reviews and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net, where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. 
Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, support the Electronic Intifada by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening. <laughs>